Psalm 37, if you go ahead and flip there, please. Psalm 37. All right, now let me ask you this question. Uh, And I would like to get some feedback, but does anybody here do anything uh, silly, maybe, to help help you remember something? Like... um, I did this ever since I was a kid, and I feel a little foolish, but I'll put it in the silly category. But ever since I was a little kid, um, there was a point in time when I had a hard time remembering what hand was my right hand and what hand was my left hand. And what I, so yeah, you ever do the right hand, left hand thing? Mm-hmm. You ever do that? Yeah. Raise your hand. Okay, so I'm not alone. Raise your left hand. <laughs> 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 I always remembered it for some reason about, and I don't know this is, it's, again, it's a little dumb, but like for some reason I always knew that I saluted, um, put my, uh, whenever the flag uh, saluted the flag um, with my right hand, and so that was always my right hand, so if it was your right hand, I was like, you know, that's, that's kind of how I did it, um, and for some reason I would always forget, um, this is as I was an adult, um, coming off of 526, onto the Long Point Road exit. Um, if, I'm, if I'm thinking about something else or I was jammed to some tunes, I'd pull, I'd pull off the exit and I'd forget which way was my house. Um, and now, I'm an educated man, okay? Um, but sometimes, uh, depending on if you're coming from Mount Pleasant or from North Charleston, I would just, you know, I, I would kind of be in the zone. I'd get out and, it, and, and it'd be time to turn. I'd be like, I think it's this way. Ah, crap, it's not. And pull into some parking lot, turn back around. Like, I've been living here for a long time. You know, and I finally, you know, I, I, I associated, um, there's a street sign that's brown, which is a, a national, is that Boone Hall, maybe? I don't know. It's just Pigney. It's, it's brown. <laughs> you do the same thing? Okay. So, you know, whatever the brown sign uh, is pointing to is the direction of my house. All right. So maybe I'm an idiot, but I just remember, like, Eh, a little trigger, a memory trigger there. Follow the brown sign and it'll take me home. <laughs> so if that brown sign ever gets knocked over, <laughs> lost forever. Um, but uh, so does anybody do anything like that? I mean, I shared with you, I, I bore my soul. Like, exact same thing. Exact same thing. Yeah. Anybody same else? The yellow and green pawn shop on Rivers is where you turned our house. Okay, okay. <laughs> yellow and green pawn shop. Come on. You follow the sun. <laughs> that would get me very, very lost. Ouch! Uh, burning my eyes. Nobody? Ron, if you take something, put it very out of place, say, like in the middle of your floor, it reminds you that you have something to do that day. It doesn't matter what it is. But like, if I need to remember to do something, I'll pick a book. I put it in the middle of the floor, my, my bedroom, or my hallway, or whatever, and I see it. And I'm like, "Why is that there?" Because I need to pay my my rent. <laughs> <laughs> if it works, do that. You know, if there's a whole stack of books and you're like, "Hmm, there's like seven things I'm supposed to remember." <laughs> Anybody else? I dump my laundry in front of. <coughs> My kitchen's up here, bedroom's in the back. I dump my laundry, so if I go to get a snack at midnight, I know I need to do the laundry so I'll have it next in the morning. 
<laughs> you got to do what you got to do, all right? And maybe there's some things that are maybe more embarrassing. I don't know. But we do silly things. Now, if they work, then they're not necessarily silly because you accomplish the things that you need to accomplish. But really, the reason um, why I'm sharing some of these things is because this psalm, when it was written by David... In the Old Old Testament times, uh, this song was act, act, uh, was actually written as an acrostic, and um, it is several different stanzas. It was a song that was sung, um, and each stanza corresponds to uh, successive letters of the ancient Hebrew alphabet. Okay, and so it was a song that was sung, um, and you would follow the alphabet. You know, and so if it were English, you know, A. Would be apple, B would be B like bubble B, C would be cat, whatever, so that you you could you could remember it, all right, and so that you would take the principles and the, the, the themes and the moral of this psalm and that you could sing it and and apply it. And then it would be something that you would you would remember better because it followed the Hebrew alphabet and, and those in the day would remember that. Um, and we're not familiar with the Hebrew. I mean most of us have not studied the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew alphabet, um, and so we're not familiar with it. And so sometimes that, that can be lost, but it's important for us to see because we need to recognize, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, that these psalms, many of these psalms were written very specifically with, with doctrine and with certain themes in mind, but written in a broad context so that it would have a, it would have a continued broad application. So it's not one of those situations where you specifically look at it and say, I wonder what exactly the author was going through when he wrote the specific song. It wasn't designed for that, all right? That it has a broad application, and some things are kept intentionally vague so that it can be applied throughout the course and the context of, of your life and their life, even, even back in the day. So it's important for us to see that, because that's different than, say, our Ephesians study that we went through a couple weeks ago that we wrapped up, because the Ephesians study uh, was speaking very specifically and intentionally to a very specific group of people going through very specific things, and we need to figure out what those things were so that we can get the, uh, the context of, of the Scripture. So that as the premise and the idea that this was written as an, an acrostic and in stanzas, what I want to do is I want to read this psalm. It's 40 verses, all right, so it's longer than the last couple psalms that we have gone through. And I want you to look for and listen for the themes. All right? There's a couple major themes, and then I'm going to ask you. All right? um, so I'm going to read this, but I don't want to just blankly read it and have people you know, follow along or, or listen along. But I want you to listen to these themes, knowing that this was, this was written uh, to be remembered. So let's figure out what the themes are, and then we will move forward as we unpack the psalm. Got it? Psalm 33, I'm reading out of the ESV. 37, sorry. (laughs) Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their swords shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be, shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are put to shame, excuse me, they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrow, borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing, turning away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he saw, or he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Now, that was a big piece of text. But themes. What were some of the themes that stood out in this text? God upholds the righteous. Upholds the righteous. Alright, what else? Don't fret or envy. Okay. Don't fret. <laughs> Themes. Um, the Lord establishes the steps of man. 
Okay. Alright. What else? The wicked won't last. Wicked won't last. Being faithful for it even when you don't see it immediately. Be faithful. It even when you don't see it in the immediate. Is that right? A righteous, sorry. Go ahead. A righteous man is both just and generous. Just and generous. Good. Trust in the Lord. Okay. Is it good? I'm sorry? The wicked opposes the righteous. Good. Let's see. Put oppose the righteous. What else? Blessed by the Lord. Those that are blessed shall inherit. realize I have poor handwriting. What else? A little righteousness is better than a lot of wickedness. I was just going to say, it makes me think of... Uh, John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things um, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world. Can you read that again? Verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. 
1633 is what it was. Excellent. All right, we said that there's a contrast of wrath and delight. The Lord upholds the righteous. Don't fret. The Lord establishes the steps of man. The wicked won't last. Uh, be faithful. Uh, the righteous are just and generous. Trust in the Lord. The wicked oppose the righteous. The blessed uh, will uh, receive the inheritance. Patience. Do good. Refrain from anger. Um, there's rest when you commit to the Lord. The Lord is faithful. Uh, a little of righteousness is better than a lot of wickedness. And then the reference in New Testament. John 16.33. There's a... When you boil these down, all right, what we see... This is excellent. Um, but as I've been able to spend time in it this week, we see that the um, wicked prosper. Um, and then wrath. All right. Uh, cool. We'll call this theme number one. There's two. The wicked prosper for a while, for a short time, and then wrath. Um, and the second theme that we have is that there is um, duty uh, of the righteous. Followed by the promises of God. So you have two things going on, all right, which can be summarized in all of this. This is these are accurate observations. Um, but the first is we see the wicked prospering. We, we see that referenced several times, but we also see that followed up by the wrath of God that comes even in the short term. The second is we see duty assigned to the righteous, things that the righteous are supposed to be doing, that need to be a part of their life, and that is followed by uh, the promises of God. Now, what I would like to do is I would like to read through uh, some specific references, uh, how we see this in the text, all right? Um, If you want to follow along in Psalm 37, do so. Um, If you want to just listen, that's fine too. But this is where we see the, whisk, the wicked prospering. All right, this is just the wicked prospering in Psalm 37. In, in verse 1, it talks about not being envious of the wrongdoers, meaning that they're doing something that is appealing to you, that you want it. Uh, verse 7, it says, Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out his evil devices. Um, how the wicked prosper. Verse 12, it says that the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at them, which is a sign of uh, intense angst against them. Verse 14, it says that the wicked draws the sword and bends their bows to bring down the poor and the needy and to slay those whose way, whose way is right. Verse 16, it says better is a little from the righteous than the abundance of of many wicked, seeing that there are wicked who have things in abundance. Verse 21, it says that the wicked borrow, that they receive, but they do not pay back. Verse 32, it says the wicked watch for the righteous, and they seek to put them to death. And verse 35, the uh, psalmist says, I have seen a wicked man, a ruthless man, spreading himself out like a green laurel tree, meaning seeing that he is prosperous and, and successful in the things that he is endeavoring in. 
The contrast to that is the coming wrath or the punishment. So back in verse 1, it says that they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Verse 9, it says the evildoer shall be cut off. Verse 10, it says in just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Verse 13, for the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Verse 15, their, their swords shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Verse 17, the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Verse 20, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The end of verse 22 says those cursed by him shall be cut off. The end of verse 28, the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The end of verse 34, you will look on when the wicked are cut off. Verse 36, but he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. In verse 38, but the transgressors shall altogether be destroyed and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. So we see a theme established, don't we? That the wicked are there and that they prosper for a while, but wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. That it's a certainty that it is something that God does as a result <coughs> of the wicked deeds of the evil. The second theme that we see is what the righteous are to do. The, the duty of the righteous. These are, these are commands. This, this is what a righteous person does, followed by the promises of God. So in the same sense, I want to cut down these and just read through uh, what the righteous are called and commanded to do, as the psalmist says here in, ver- in uh, chapter 37. And in verse 1, it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious. Verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in, in the land and befriend faithfulness. Verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers on his way. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. The end of verse 21, it says the righteous is generous and he gives. The end of verse 23, it says when he delights in his way, the ways of the Lord. Verse 26, that he is ever lending generously. Verse 27, turn away from evil and do good. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. Verse 31, the law of his God is in his heart and his steps do not slip. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way. So this is the duty of the righteous, but it's followed not just by, hey, go do these things, but what the Lord says he will do in return as a promise. What does the Lord promise? Verse, verse 4, he will give you the desires of your heart. Promise of the Lord. Verse 5, that he will act, meaning he will do a good work in your, in your life. Verse 6, that he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Verse 9, it says, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. There's several references here to inheritance and to the land. All right. Now, this is a, a, a figure of speech that's, that, that means that you will receive great, bountiful blessing when it says you will inherit the land, that you will get the mother load of the promises of God. Not just that things, you know, God will, will sprinkle things on you, but you will inherit the land. 
All right, so it's not specifically just speaking of the promised land as reference to the Old Testament here, but it's speaking about the ultimate bundle, if you will, of the promises of God. Verse 11, it says, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundant peace. Verse 18, the promise of the Lord says, The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. Verse 19, They are not put to shame in evil times. In the day of famine, they have abundance. Verse 22, For those who speak, excuse me, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Again, verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the, by the Lord. Verse 24, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Verse 25, I have been young and I am now old, yet I have seen the righteous, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Verse 26, and his children become a blessing. Verse 27, and you will dwell in the land forever. Verse 28, the Lord loves justice, and he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Verse 33, the Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Verse 34, he will exalt you to, in, to inherit the land, and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. Verse 37, mark, he marks the blameless and behold the upright. There is a future for the man of peace. So we see these two themes here that are both that we do see the wicked prosper, but there is a certain coming wrath, the judgment of God. But at the same time, there is a duty that is called upon for all that are righteous, and with that duty comes a promise of God. I want to look at these two themes here uh, for a few minutes this morning as it relates to just life. Because we live in a fallen world. We, we live in a world that is filled with, uh, with sinners. We, we, live, we, we work at workplaces that are filled with sinners. And it, it has an effect. It, it always will have an effect on us. The people that we're around will always influence us in some way. And this is a common theme that we see in Psalm 37 because we see throughout the course of life, we see it in the world, and I would wager that you see it in the workplace that you see people who are not righteous prospering. That you see people who ought not be prospering, prospering. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes it affects you. It affects us. It affects me. When you see this, and it just seems like this, this cosmic injustice. How are things going so well for this person, and they're not going well for me? How is it that this person can, can, can get away with these things or do things unethically, even if they're minor unethical issues, and they just kind of get away with it? Maybe they even get promoted, or, or they're doing better, or they have... Uh, a, a better job or they have more money or they have a better position or that things just seem to really be going their way in spite of things that they're doing that are not godly and if they're not godly according to scripture they're wicked even though we don't use the term wicked and you, the only time you think of wicked is you think of some serial killer or Hitler um, but in the context of scripture if you are not pursuing righteousness if you're not doing the duty of the righteous it's wickedness um, so it's a much broader term that we see here in Scripture. I read an article once about the Google guys. Anybody know their names? Sergey? No. They're rich. Okay. Um, anybody heard of Google? <laughs> you know? um, now I don't know them personally, and this is not this is not a statement on, on where you know where they're at. But 
the article that I had heard about was that the Google guys were looking to um, sharpen their, their, their product, make Google better and better and better. And so they were seeking counsel from other people. And one of the guys that they went to seek counsel from was Steve Jobs, um, who was excellent at what, what he did. He really not only saved Apple, but I mean, it, it, Apple really kind of changed the world. Um, when you look at you know the iPod and, and everything, touchscreen technology, yada, yada, yada. So these two guys went to Steve Jobs and said, um, help us out. Will you look at our business model? Will you look at our product? Will you look at Google and tell us in your professional business opinion what you need to do? And he said, you need to narrow the focus. He says, you're doing way too much. And, and when, you do, when you do way too much, you do a whole lot of things not that great. And so you need, to, you need to narrow the focus, bring it down, and figure out a couple things that you can really, really do well and excel at them. And Google did not do that. <laughs> um, now, I mean, because, you know, Google did, is kind of the email and maps and documents and search engine. And, I mean, there's Google, Chrome. I mean, there's every, everything Google. And, they, and they, you know, they didn't take Steve Jobs' advice. But there's something to that. And even here on the church staff, there were several years ago, when um, we as a church, you know, there's a lot of people that go to this church, and, um, you know, some of the, the guys that were ahead of me were saying, listen, we need to, we need to maybe cut back on some of this, just the, the load of stuff that we're doing and, and narrow the focus. That was the terminology that they used. Let's, let's go from looking at doing all this stuff and see if we can do this thing well. Just a couple things incredibly well. Narrow the focus, you know, what Steve Jobs told the Google guys. And really, that's what this text is doing. The text is calling on the believer to narrow the focus. He's acknowledging that, you know what, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. I mean, I just, you know, pretty in-depth, just read through verse after verse after verse after verse where we see this going on. And over and over and over and over, the theme says, they will receive wrath. But nowhere in the text does it say, you will pour wrath on them. That is something that God does. That is something that God does. And nowhere in scripture, nowhere in text, does it call upon you, Christ follower, to look on the deeds of the wicked and say, I will judge you for that. I will pour down wrath on you for that. But over and over and over in this text, it says, God says, I got this. I'm going to bring it to them. You don't need to fret. It says, do not fret three different times throughout this text. Fret not over these things. Be not concerned with the wicked. Be not concerned with the wicked. Now, there's a difference here. This text is not saying that you shouldn't have concern over the trajectory of the culture, for example. Buster all the time is talking about the trajectory of the culture and the movement away from morality and ethics and uh, values and sexuality and in family and all of these different things. It's not saying that you, you don't look at that and say, hey, I don't care about that. Rather, that we don't need to see the things of the wicked and fret about them. Let them affect us to the point of anxiety or even spur us then to sin by drawing us into anger. It says that God's got this, that he is going to be the one who takes care of it. And he is, in this text, actually cutting those things out of our concerns saying you need to narrow the focus. Even when you see this crap going on at work and seeing people doing things of wickedness or things that are unethical and succeeding at it, you need to trust 
The theme of trust comes up over and over. And if you're going to trust the Lord, then that means, by definition, that you see him as trustworthy, meaning that he can take it, that he can take it off of you and is not something that you need to be weighed down and anchored down with, that he's, he's got this. So throughout the course of your life and throughout the course of your career, throughout the course of your family, you're going to see, and the effects of the wicked world that we're living in, it's going to have an effect on us. And this is a song that is designed to be remembered so that we continually go back to the fact that the, ju- that the wicked will be judged. And it is not our job to do it, but it's going to happen. And this text says that it's going to be soon in the context of God. It's going to happen, and it's going to be disastrous for them. This wrath that we see here uses terminology like, will be cut off, their arms will be broken, they will not inherit the land. This is talking of hell. This is talking of eternal condemnation of the wicked. That there is a doom. There is an imminent doom. There is an impending doom for the wicked. And that we, as Christ followers, are called to the duty of righteousness first and primarily and ultimately. And the works of the wicked we are not supposed to be drawn down and anchored down by. Um, Deuteronomy 32, if you would, please flip uh, to Deuteronomy earlier in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Talking about easy ways to remember things. Did anybody grow up in a Sunday school where you memorized the, the songs? The songs? Yeah. You want to sing it for us? I will. Uh, <laughs> 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 Almost. I think I did at some point, but I don't, I don't remember it. Uh, um, try to come up with something for you all next week. But, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35 says this. Vengeance is mine. We've heard that before. Vengeance is mine and recompense. For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. Saying that those who put their hope and their trust in anything other than God, which is, which is equal to wickedness, will be judged. And God will be their judge. That, that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And if you have offered offerings and sacrifices to any other God other than me, look to them to save you when wrath comes, because it's not going to happen. It's pretty strong verbiage here. Flip to the New Testament, please. Romans chapter 12. Paul speaking here. After the death and resurrection of Christ, to those that are Christ followers. Romans chapter 12 verse 17 and 19 says this I'll give you just a second I still hear pages flipping I don't want to go too quick Romans 12 verse 17 and 19 
Repay no one evil for evil when you see evil happening or when it happens to you. Repay no, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Um, I read an article this week about uh, Mozilla. You know the web company? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Um, their CEO, did you read about his, the CEO? Was, was he fired or did he resign? I think he stepped down. He stepped down? Now, maybe I don't know the whole story, but the story that I, I read on BBC was that um, in 2008, uh, this man, who was known for writing JavaScript, who created JavaScript, it's a pretty big deal, uh, pretty successful man, who was the CEO of Mozilla. Um, in 2008, he made a $1,000 donation to Proposition 8, something like that, in California. Is that right? Which is an anti-gay marriage, basically. Supporting uh, marriage between a man and a woman. Um, and people exploded over the fact that this man, who is a CEO of a major company, um, would be so intolerant, you know, that he, that he would hate people so much. And he made no statement, my understanding. Uh, he didn't write a blog. He didn't do anything scathing. He just donated some money to something he believes in. You know what I mean? And like my, I'm sitting there reading it on my iPod, and I'm like, I'm boiling a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I'm just kind of like, this is not America. Like, come on. Like the, the Constitution says, you know, blah blah blah. blah. And like he should have the freedom and the right to just simply support something that, that he he sees as right. And you know, there was such a, a firestorm over this, and there was an apology by the company, like we are so sorry, uh, you know, to all of you out there, and that we, um, you know, we do not support this kind of behavior. And to me, it's kind of like. What is it, socialism? You know, like I'm, I'm getting upset at this. And I was telling Lauren, you know, that I'm, I'm sitting there reading this thinking, you know, I'm getting un- upset over on the unrighteous. You know, I'm getting upset over the wickedness of our culture. And I started questioning myself, and I almost started feeling like I was actually getting upset over um, how I didn't think they were obeying the Constitution <laughs> more than Scripture. You know what I mean? Because it's like our rights say this. You know, this is what we're about as America even more than the, uh, the, the morality issue, you know? And even though I am bothered by this, and even though I am upset by this, if I'm going to apply Psalm 37 here, it says, fret not, because judgment is coming. That's scary, first of all. Fret not, because judgment is coming. We talked last week about Psalm chapter 5. We talked about doctrine and how one of the doctrines of God is that he cannot endure wickedness, that it will be held to an account. It will be. Even if he withholds for a time, that wickedness cannot stand. It will be judged. So last week we talked about Psalm 5, verses 4 to 6. They say this, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. 
And Psalm 37 is telling us, telling me, that when I see wickedness, which is, I would put that in that category, I don't need to get myself all tied up in a knot because the Lord is going to take care of it. And I don't exactly know what that looks like, but the Lord is going to take care of it. Verse 8 in Psalm 37 says this, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Once again, refrain from anger. All right, I was getting angry at Mozilla. I was getting angry at the culture. I was allowing the sin of the culture to cause me to sin. I, I went to a Christian high school, and though I was a believer, I, I had angst, and I don't know if it was just regular teenage angst, but like, I didn't like people telling me what to do, especially if, I mean, I wasn't a, a real rebellious kid, but like, it would really boil my blood if I felt like a teacher was um, using scripture out of context to like tell me to behave or something like that. You know what I mean? And I had this teacher, Miss Bins. <laughs> Chemistry, biology. And I like her. She would get nosebleeds in the middle of class. And so she'd like wrap up paper and jam it up. Like, how do you focus as a 10th grade boy? You know? <laughs> With the teacher that you don't like, you know? But she was a believer. And, and looking back, I really do think she was a godly woman. But she would quote the scripture that I felt like she was lording over me. And I, I was kind of going off once to my mom about Miss Benz. And I remember distinctly my mom telling me, she said, Danny, you cannot allow somebody else's sin to cause you to sin. You can't. It's ungodly. And even if somebody is sinning against you, and was she? Probably not. Probably my own too dumb teenage angst. But, but my responsibility was very narrow. My call as a believer was to not allow the sin of the world, the sin of others, the sin of Mozilla, or the sin of people who don't follow Christ, or the wickedness of the world, to then cause me to sin. And that's what this psalm is cautioning against. That when you see this, it is upsetting in the world. It is. It is. Like, we're not saying that it isn't. You know, when, when there are people, maybe at your workplace, who legitimately maybe get the job that you wanted, or maybe you deserve, or you're, or you're, and you're more ethical, it is bothersome. It is upsetting. When you see people doing things of unrighteousness or, or wickedness, it can boil your blood. And that's why this is a psalm that is called upon to remember, to continue to, to, to re-digest, to continue to go back to these principles that we already know because we're going to be affected by the sinfulness and the wickedness of the world. And if we're not careful, we are going to let this become our responsibility and just be like, ah, I hate this, you know, and just, and just blow up and boil over and, and get upset. And what happens then is we get so bothered by this that we begin to stop doing this. Because what is the duty of the righteous here? The duty of the righteous is to trust, you know, to fall back in, in the trustworthy arms of the Savior and say, I believe that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you will do the things that you have said you were going to do, both in judging the wicked and also protecting the righteous, 
that you will, will give me rest and peace if I will do my duty. If I will trust, if I will do the good that you've called me to do. In verse 4, if I will delight myself in the Lord, you will give me the desires of my heart. If I commit my way to the Lord, as it says, if I trust in you, if I be still, and if I wait patiently. To wait patiently means that you don't really know how this is going to completely pan out. That, that, that things may be bothersome, that things may be frustrating, that there may be unrighteousness and injustice and wickedness going on, but you will trust and you will wait because that is the duty of the righteous. And again, the duty of the righteous here is again not just putting your nose down and plowing through and just being like, I know God's in control. But it is truly sitting back and saying, I will apply the gospel to my day today. That today I will trust the Lord. Today. That I will delight myself in the Lord today. In, my, in, 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 in the frustrations of work, in the frustrations of family, in the frustrations of friends or roommates, or just life in general, I will take the glory of the gospel that Jesus Christ has come and offered me forgiveness and has promised me an inheritance of the land and has said you can and will find no rest and peace aside from me, but it is yours for the taking if you will do the gospel duty and let me do my job. I will judge the wicked. And that means you have a very focused agenda. You're, you're, the, it has been very narrowed. Delight yourself in the Lord like it's your job. Delight yourself in the Lord like it's your job. I remember going to some, I, don't, I think it was some burger place with a bunch of guys. And this is all, I mean, we're all just joking around. And somebody was going to get this massive burger. And we were starving. And one of these guys said, man, I'm going to eat that burger like it's my job. You know, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack it like it's my job. You know, like I'm getting paid to destroy this thing. You know, like I am so hungry and I'm so anxious and this is so good and it looks so delicious that I'm going to go at it like this is my focus, this is my job, and this is my responsibility. And this is what I'm going to be all about right now is destroying this burger like it's my job. And what Psalm 37 is saying is delight yourself in the Lord first, primarily, number one, like it's your job. Like it's your one focus. Like it's, it's, what, it's, it's, it's all that you are about. Everything else is on the side. But delight yourself in the Lord like it's your job. Flip with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 continues this theme of delighting yourself in the Lord primarily. Number one, like it is what you, the one thing you are called to and to do with excellence. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That I will consider everything else secondary. I will consider it trash. I will consider it rubbish. I will consider it not worth pursuing as long as I delight myself in the Lord first. He goes on. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Matthew chapter 6, I'll read this for us. Verse 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the duty of the righteous. And all of these things, all of these blessings, inheriting the land, will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Fret not, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And Luke 9, 23 says, If anybody would come after me, this is Jesus speaking, that he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That he must put everything else aside, take up his cross as if he's going to die, and number one, primary, job number one, narrow the focus, is to follow Christ. Delight yourself in the Lord, just like it's your job. So as we read this scripture that is written to be remembered and written to go back to, I want to challenge you to go to this psalm. Maybe if you're looking for something to do in your quiet times, or you're not having a quiet time, or sometimes you can get to a point where you are finding yourself dry, which happens to me. I have to change it up, um, do different things, different styles in my own time with the Lord. Go to Psalm 37 and spend some time here chewing on this, working on this, remembering the things that you've already heard before and applying them to the course of your everyday life. And we need to be asking ourselves, are we fretting over the wickedness? You know, are we, are we concerning ourselves with things that we ought not be concerned about? Because those are things that God will handle. And then are we delighting ourselves in the Lord every day? I grew up in a real conservative Baptist church. And they always had this thing with the altar call. <laughs> Maybe some of you have been there where you have the altar call come up and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or you can recommit your life to Christ. Does anybody remember that? You know, and that basically means if you're not doing what you should be, you can start now again. <laughs> you know, recommit your life to Jesus Christ. You know, as I got older, I really started looking at that as something that is, some, is, is something that maybe I need to be doing every day. Committing my day to Jesus Christ. And saying that today I will be about the things of the gospel, no matter what come my way. That today I am a believer already, and I am safe in the hands of my Father. But today... I'm committing myself to you. That my duty is a duty of righteousness because of the promises of God that I can hold on to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your promise. Father, without your promises, there's, there's nothing left. Father, thank you for the promises of your word. May we delight ourselves in you like it's our job. And may we not get caught up in the wickedness of the world and fret not. Father, we thank you. We love you for being God and for being in control and for being sovereign. In Jesus' name, amen.